The Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Thank you, and welcome to the program, 10 minutes after 9 a.m., and uh, one of my favorite shows all month long is when we get Dr. David Blodgett in with us. Dr. Blodgett, how are you today? I'm good. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, I feel like, I've said this before, but you're you're like the kind of the logical voice out there that, you know, the the voice crying in the wilderness. No, not not that, but you're kind of the voice of reason, I guess, maybe is a better word for it. I try to be. I try to be. Sometimes that's the hard place to be, but. uh. We appreciate that. Now. Now, uh, your assistant, uh, David Heaton, uh, your uh, communications director, put out a press release. I don't know if it was this morning or last night, but basically, uh, maybe if you talk a little bit about what's in there, you had a quote from you, and, and I guess the, the concern right now is some care centers. Well, yeah, all of it. So, I, I don't, you know, people are probably tracking the fact that there's been a really large increase in KBA. We we had the the kind of outbreak that happened over the summer. We dropped down. We had almost no cases there for a good month and now we're back into a higher number of cases and so we just wanted to uh, remind people that um, the disease is still here all of those principles we've been talking about are still in place you know wash your hands don't go out if you're sick Uh, particularly alarming though in this round has been um, an increased number of outbreaks in nursing homes uh, this, the CDC released guidance that allows for visitation in nursing homes. <clears throat> so we've had them pretty locked down because they're the highest risk in this outbreak and they're most likely to have difficulties uh, with this. But uh, that's brought with it um, kind of a, a less of a, a – this, these outbreaks have been the result. So increased cases in the community translates, if you're not careful, into you – know, the, the high-risk people ending up getting it, and they're the ones that end up in the hospital and end up uh, dying. And so just a, a reminder, <laughs> uh, it might be that you feel like you're not at big risk from this disease, which is there's never zero risk, but I understand. But you always have to keep in mind um, where you're at and who you might be exposing and what that might mean for them. Uh, especially if you work in one of those kind of environments or you work around those kind of people, or if you're going to see somebody that's um, in that kind of high risk category, please, uh, you know, we know there's no mysteries here as to what works and what's been recommended and what we would recommend. Uh, Wash your hands. Don't go there. If you're sick, have any symptoms at all, wear a mask to stop from spreading. I mean, all of those things, that's, it's part of that whole spectrum of, you know, trying to keep those most vulnerable protected. I, I'm curious if you know of any studies or if there have been any studies done on, uh, I mean, we always talk about the high-risk categories, the age, and then the comorbidities, but um, what about a healthy older person? For instance, my dad is 85 years old. He's uh, he's hearty in hail for an 85-year-old. Yeah. He's a very strong guy. I know he's old, but I don't feel like, and I, I'm not trying to justify anything, I Just and, and he does use a lot of precautions and is very careful, but I don't feel like he's really that much at risk. And even if he got I think he'd be okay, personally. Yeah, you know, that, I think that's one thing that's been clear to me recently as we've gone through this thing. So we tracked the data and we crunched the numbers mm-hmm. on, the, on the latest data and just kind of take a look at it. And, and one thing that's been actually pretty remarkable is even with all of these uh, cases in long-term care facilities, there's a whole bunch of those folks that just shrugged this off. It was no big deal. And so 
It actually probably is more about the comorbidities, those underlying health conditions, than it is the actual age. It's just that as we age, we tend to pick up more of those comorbidities. So, so, so the actual data is that eighty-five percent of people over eighty-five still do fine. Right? It's about Mm -hmm. fifteen percent that end up uh, in in trouble, and. And it's about the same percentage um, in that kind of 60 to 70 range that end up in the hospital, but only about 5% ended up dying. And I, I, I do think it has a little bit to do with age, but a whole lot to do with your underlying health. And uh, No, it's all connected, basically, is what you're saying. Right. As we get older, we tend to have some of these things, whether it's lung issues or whatever. And that's connected with, uh, of course, uh, the complications. of. Yeah. I don't want to politicize this at all, but President Trump, of course, uh, diagnosed or, or tested positive for COVID-19, underwent, as you might expect, with the President of the United States, a little extra special care. But uh, he, he came out yesterday like gangbusters, said, yeah. don't, don't be afraid of this thing. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, I think it highlights exactly what we're talking about. If you're a healthy person and you um, – you, that – it's <laughs> there's just this spectrum of how people respond. I think that's been part of what's been difficult about this from the beginning is the the message really is and should be and needs to be. And if you're in those higher risk categories, it's a whole different experience for you than it will be for everybody else. And just because the experience for you wasn't very dramatic, it doesn't mean it won't be for somebody else. And that's that, that I think is part of what gets lost in all of this debate about, you know, is the, three-year-old in the store not wearing a mask a big deal you know versus is there anybody there that can get exposed to it or what what is the consequence of this and in the end we have to be focused on this idea that we can do a lot to protect those that are most vulnerable that we love around us and and i think i think that message gets lost in the in all of the rhetoric about this disease and so i always try and bring it back to that you've got to yeah good got to do what you can to I, I can't tell you how how many times this classic story has played out over the last you know week or so and that I've been aware of. Um, somebody goes away to college, they go to a party, they know exactly who it was that was sick, <laughs> they end up you know having a, a little bit of a runny nose and they think, gosh, oh, just allergies. They go home, they visit their grandma, she gets sick. And then she ends up passing away, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, yeah. those are the stories you don't want to be your story, right? You just got to think about this. And, and and it's such a mild disease in that college age group, which is really driving this latest surge in cases that we're seeing, yeah. that you've just got to know this isn't going to look like flu or something in you. It's going to look like something really mild, but you have to have a high index of suspicion for that when you get around somebody that's vulnerable. So. Let's talk about some of the comorbidities and, and the risk. And I, like I said, I, I'm not aware of the numbers and statistics, and I'm sure you probably know much better than I, but uh, say asthma. And someone that may be uh, relatively healthy otherwise has has asthma. Yeah. Is that something that's uh, you know going to put them at a much higher risk? So maybe I can approach it from the highest risk things. Okay, and yeah. We can go to lower risk. And, sure. Um, so <clears throat> the very highest risk we actually don't track this very well. This is more uh, when you do large multi-center studies and stuff is just plain old flat obesity, Hmm. being overweight above a BMI of 30, which puts you in the severely obese range. Uh, That is 
that is the very worst risk factor of them all. And it tends to come with all the other risk factors. So high blood pressure. Yeah. Obesity. Yeah, obesity gives you all of those. Doesn't yeah. It? And diabetes. So mm-hmm. that's your, your top list. I would also put on that list kidney dysfunctions, you know, so if you have some sort of chronic kidney disease, that really puts you at risk as well. So worse than just say the occasional kidney stone or something like that. Yeah. 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 You know, like a kidney failure or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, now, there, there are some behavioral things that seem to have some risk factor associated with it. It's kind of a lot of this, I think, will be better to find after it's all over with, and that's when we don't really need it. So we're just trying to make good guesses right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems like if you are using illegal drugs, if you're over-consuming alcohol, and if you're smoking or vaping, those all are associated with worse outcomes. Really? And, and do we know the link between I, – I understand vaping because you're abusing your lungs, but alcohol, that surprises me. Well, it's all pro-inflammatory. So the problem with all of this is if you have a higher inflammatory baseline state, you are going to do worse with this disease. And so that's the thing about obesity is it is pro-inflammatory. It just Mm. keeps your body in in that uh, hyper-inflammatory state all the time. And so so when you start at a higher level of inflammation and you add that insult from COVID, there's something about that that kicks over that uh, hyper-immune response that we've talked about before. So... It also seems like uh, your emotional state can have an impact on this. Mm, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So they've actually documented that people that are are mourning and going through, you know, some sort of a, a big transitional phase of their life uh, can have a, a harder time with this than people that aren't. And so it's kind of a double whammy, right? You lose somebody to COVID and then you're mourning that person that makes you more susceptible to COVID as well. Well, And then you throw in the lockdown where people are depressed, they're abusing alcohol, they're maybe uh, got laid off or lost their jobs, which can be one of the most traumatic experiences of anyone's life. And uh, it's, it's almost a, I don't know. It's a, it's a tiger eating its own tail yeah. a little bit. There. Yeah, you're stacking all of that stuff on top of each other and, and, and just making it that much worse. Mm-hmm. And, th- and so then there are other things that could have an impact and probably do, but it's we're not seeing as much of an impact. In, in it. And I would put asthma in that group. So initially we thought, oh, asthma is going to be really a problem because, yeah. there, you know, there's reactivity in the airway and all that stuff. But it seems to be fairly manageable. So that that's a long answer to your overall question. So, <laughs> hopefully it puts it in a little context. We throw in uh, something like COPD, uh, I guess would be. Yeah, well, and so those people are kind of fragile anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But I, it, it isn't emerging as, oh, man, if you have that, it increases your risk by 20 times, like being morbidly obese will, you know, or being 85, you know, kind of things. So, um, so I, I just haven't seen it. Uh, I, I think anything that's kind of an underlying health concern could be a problem, but I just haven't seen that uh, be one that just flags out as, wow, this is really a problem. So, A lot of this is just stuff that you have been, and our, our health leaders overall have been telling us, you, you know, you need to exercise right. so you don't get morbidly obese. Uh, you need to obviously be be clean and, and, and you know, hyg- hygienically take care of yourself there. But, uh, you know, sometimes those things aren't as easy to do. I, I, I know, for instance, uh, m- my mom, when she got really sick before she passed away, 
they told her she needed to exercise more. But yeah. the problem is she couldn't breathe. So right. she'd go and she'd try to walk and she couldn't breathe. And she had to sit down because she couldn't breathe and, yeah. and she had to try and catch her breath. And so at that point, it's like, well, yeah, I need to exercise. I want to exercise. But every time I try to exercise, I get really sick. And, and uh, you know, it's, that's a tough deal. There. So, sometimes by the time we really resolve to exercise, it's too late, right? I mean, yeah. we've missed that opportunity for that benefit in our lives. So, yeah, no, a lot of these messages are the same messages we've been talking about for 20 years on this program, right? <laughs> well, I've only been here a year and a half. So. Same message, different day, but um, yeah. they, they just make such a big difference in people's lives. They really do. Can, can you address that? I, I did a show a few days ago about this. Uh, there was a letter written by a coalition of doctors, hundreds of them actually signed it, and basically said, if you keep shutting things down, that's going to have a more harmful effect on the general population than actually catching COVID-19 would do to these people. And uh, I, it was, I, I actually closed the window, so I don't have it in front of me. But, but you know, they talked about uh, abuse. They talked about alcoholism. They talked about suicide and depression. Uh, all these things, you know, just even something as simple as loneliness come yeah. about when, when we keep shutting things down. And now we're seeing in Utah, there are schools throughout the state that are shutting down because, you know, there was a, a handful of students that got COVID-19. I wonder, Doctor Blodgett, you know, where where's the cutoff there? I mean, what, the, where's the trade-off? Where is it worth it to actually do this to people versus not? Boy, you know, if you have the, all the answers to that question, <laughs> then you're you're doing yeah. you're doing really well. And I think that's part of the struggle we're having as a society right now. And uh, yeah. but it it's absolutely clear that uh, many of the pro- approaches have been way too focused on the risk of COVID versus the overall risk of what those interventions are doing. Yeah. I actually just saw an economic study uh, where they, they showed, look, the, the cost of what might have happened if COVID had just run rampant through the society would have been about this dollar figure. But what happened because of the shutdown was this dollar figure. Mm-hmm. And the, the first figure of what would have happened, it was about... 15% of what the impact has been because of what we did. So yeah. that's, that's an economic approach that I'm just, I'm putting it into that whole, the context thing. And so I think it's a healthy thing to begin to say, look, we've got to, uh, the phrase that I think is com- becoming more common is learning how to live with this. Yeah. And, and so, so part of it is, you know, you don't look for a, a government lockdown if there's more cases or if there's, you know, concern in your life, you are the one empowered to do something with that, right? You, when you go visit your elderly relatives or people around you and you can expose somebody to high risk, you, there's some responsibility there that we all have, right? And, and if you are in that category and you, you, you have some responsibility to say, you know what, I'm the one that's, most impacted by this. So I'm going to take some steps to, to do this. And it isn't dependent on everybody else not being able to go to work because that's what allows you to be there to begin with. Right. So there's, there's, there's lots of dimensions to this that I think just got forgotten in the rush towards, uh, you know, let's lock it down so we don't have this disease spread. And, you know, there, there was a study that came out from the CDC just recently that said there are actually more deaths from drug overdoses and, um, and suicides, suicides yeah. than there are from COVID, right? And so, mm. prob- and, and directly tied to the whole situation of the pandemic. And so, so I, I think I think 
we, we have, that's part of the struggle of, of where my position is, is to, to say what's the balance here. And the governor, I think, is, is trying to, to struggle through that as well. And I think it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult task because there's very strident voices on all sides of this and everybody thinks their opinion is right and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, boy, you don't have to go on Facebook very long to figure out that, you know, everybody's an idiot, but the guy posting and, and that, that, that loss of civility and ability to actually explore some of these issues, I think has been very, um, damaging in this whole uh, yeah. spectrum of yeah. there, there's just no great there's no perfect answer when you've got a brand new disease and uh and or a brand new situation you're facing but we want there to be a perfect solution as a society and it's just not reality right so, yeah yeah and and you know one of the other things that that i was reading about was what about the long-term effect has anybody stopped to consider the long-term effect of uh, making my six-year-old wear a mask to school or uh, kids watching the news every night to see who's died or, who, you know, how many yeah. new cases there are or, you know, uh, parents homeschooling their children unwillingly but still doing it because they're scared and, and even just the living in fear. There's, yeah. uh, th- these, are, these are things, these are ripples that we're not going to feel right away, but what we're going to see in a year or two years or five years or ten years. Yeah, and I, and I, I think, unfortunately, we don't have very good data about that, right? And mm. so... So I, I think that's something that we'll have to watch and, and look to. I, I think, fortunately, kids are really resilient, right? I, I, I think they're designed to bounce back pretty well from about anything. And, yeah. and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, if you've tracked our numbers in the schools here, they've been very, very low. And, and uh, so I think what's, what's, being, what's happening in the schools has been really good from, the, from keeping the COVID down and, but also allowing them to go to school and, you know, we've been able to have a football season and those kind of things. I think all of that has been um, good, but um, but you're right. I, I think there's more and more sense in the community, and it's appropriate to say, look, we've got to be a balanced in this approach. We can't just uh, our, our response can't be let's lock down for nine months like they have in New York because the long term consequences are just dramatic. So. And it's a weird thing, too, uh, to the, the rules. Uh, there might be someone that chooses not to wear a mask. Uh, what happened on an airline flight uh, last week, a, a guy wouldn't put his mask on on the airplane, which was a rule for that flight. Uh, I'm not defending him because I think if you're going to ride an airplane that says you have to wear a mask, you need to wear the mask when they tell you to. But uh, he wouldn't put it on. It, it, they ended up getting in an altercation on the tarmac and they had to stop the flight and, and take the, the, the guy that assaulted him and the guy that wouldn't wear the mask took them both off the airplane. And I don't know what the repercussions were long-term for those yeah. two guys, but uh, you have that. And you have a, a high school kid, I think it was in Florida who uh, refused to wear a mask to school. Uh, and uh, because he, he got panic attacks with the mask on, he was a little bit claustrophobic and the mask made him feel like he, he couldn't breathe. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the situation probably should have homeschooled the kid, but he came to school and wouldn't put the mask on. And, and, uh, they, they ended up, uh, the, uh, what do they call it? a resource officer ended up yeah. escorting him off of campus. Uh, I mean, you look at some of these cases and I know this isn't maybe public health stuff, this part of it, but it, you just shake your head and go, really, man. I mean, yeah. is that where we're at right now? Yeah. I mean, that's part <laughs> of that civility thing. We've yeah. got to figure out how to make this work and be on the same page and make it reasonable and make it, you know, help everybody be on the same page. I, I have been grateful for the, the school districts here in our area. They've, they've got this dual option, right? And so if you don't feel comfortable with your child in school, you can keep them home, you know, and, um, 
And so I, I think there's there's better options than I've seen in other places where it is you will do it this one way. You know, there's kind of this smorgasbord available, which I think is helpful. But um, but even at that, emotions run high, and um, and like I say, everybody's an idiot that doesn't believe the way you do, and that's <laughs> that's kind of a problem, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, I got to take a break. Uh, we have uh, more with Doctor Blodgett. Our phone lines aren't available right now. If you want to email a question in to me, it's a Griffin at CherryCreekMedia dot com. We'd love to hear from you. A couple of items of business: the Barbecue Pit Stop is holding the biggest Traeger sale ever to come to St. George. Traeger's clearing out their warehouse, and the selected they selected the Barbecue Pit Stop here in St. George to be the host for his massive sales event. These are open box or scratch and dent grills that will be marked down at crazy low prices. He wasn't allowed to give me a percentage. I was like, well, 20, 30, 40, 50. He says, well, something like that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, big, if you've been kind of putting off, I want to trigger, man, they're kind of pricey. Now is the time uh, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Wednesday, no, Thursday. No, it's today, right? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, big trigger sale at the barbecue pit stop that's located Right behind Napa Auto Parts, just off the boulevard at uh, about uh, 300 East. It's the barbecue pit stop. We'll see you over there. I'm going to head over there, maybe get me a Traeger, too. I don't, I'll definitely stock up on some pellets for sure. Those are on sale as well. And uh, I will be on Friday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. I'll be at Ideal, uh, Ideal Paint. It's at 4096 South River Road. Uh, they have paint for just about everything you could think of that would need to be painted, a deck, a, a driveway, a house. Whatever you might uh, might need to have paint needs for, it's the big grand opening of Ideal Paint at 4096 South River Road. Uh, didn't get to play my music. Let's play some music, shall we? There we go. Welcome back to the program. It's 935 on KDXU, and Dr. Dave Blodgett is with me today. Dr. Blodgett, how are you? Good. That's been fun. Thanks Thank for you. coming on today. <laughs> Appreciate it. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I my mother-in-law passed away. Our originally, original diagnosis was breast cancer. And uh, yeah, they took care of it. She had a mastectomy. They took care of it. And then, of course, and what seems to happen more often than not is that it came back. And it came back with a vengeance and finally took her life. But uh, certainly something to be aware of. Everybody talks about a cure for cancer and and i obviously we want a cure for cancer but the problem with a cure for cancer the word cancer is cancer can mean so many different things right? yeah it's not one disease it's a whole spectrum of diseases and and, and really you have to come up with a solution to each individual cancer in some ways you know mm. there isn't like one magic bullet or at least that's not where it's been so far so lots of progress has been made on cancer therapies and treatments and uh, but it, it always is the truth that it's better to prevent than it is to uh, to wait for it to get bad and then try and fix it. And so, you know, it, this is maybe part of the whole spectrum of it's good to get a, a yearly checkup with your physician mm-hmm. to get all those screening tests done. In the case of of women that are over the age of 50, that includes a mammogram and that, you know, the earlier you discover that, the better off the prognosis is and... Uh, how well you do with that cancer. So about one in 11 uh, women will have breast cancer over their lifetime. Uh, and that increases um, the more that you age. So uh, always good to kind of keep that in mind. And it's that month and everything is COVID now. So nobody knows how to talk about anything other than COVID. <laughs> that's a nice reminder that there are yeah. other things out there to, to just always keep in mind. And uh, that we don't, we don't, in line with appropriate 
kind of risk perception. <laughs> we don't uh, live in continual fear of some of these things, but we just right. know that there's, you know, part of life that you could do that uh, over 50. It's also when you should get colon cancer, cancer screening and all of those kinds of things. And uh, putting that into there and making sure you go see your doctor once a year, I think is really a, a key uh, preventive measure to keep some of this at bay. I have a friend, uh, a friend of mine, married his high school sweetheart. Uh, she ended up with breast cancer just recently, and uh, she had no symptoms. She They yeah. caught it on a mammogram. She yeah. No lump, no nothing, just went in for a, a screening, and, and they found it. Yeah. So, know, she, so. She's, do, she's doing well now, but uh, that's scary stuff. Well, I mean, if you find it in the when it's a stage one or two, you know, the survival rates are 90 plus percent right yeah. but if you wait until stage four then it's much lower than that and so you've you've it's just a matter of uh in the case of cancer early diagnosis is the key she did lose her hair uh, through treatment uh, and my my friend and his sons all shaved their head uh, yeah. in a sign of solidarity <laughs> so uh pretty cool I think deal. that's a nice gesture you see that yeah it's, yeah very very cool I'd, I'd be afraid to shave mine because it may never come back <laughs> if i do <laughs> Some people wouldn't think that that was much of a loss for me. <laughs> I'm wondering if my friends will come back. Actually, I haven't seen a, I haven't seen him in, a, in about a month. I'm wondering if his hair is going to come back. That'll I be interesting. It, I bet it will. <laughs> so he's he's 54. So he, no no spring chicken. Uh, again, uh, phone lines are not available right now. If you want to email me, it's a griffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. I'd love to take your questions on the air uh, if you have them. A griffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Uh, I was curious, Dr. Blodgett, uh, to get off of COVID at least for a couple of minutes. Um, what, what are, uh, you know, we, we have so many deaths in our society that are not diseases or sicknesses, uh, you know, accidents, uh, car accidents, of course, one of the leading causes of death in, in the United States. Uh, what's your responsibility as the, the head of the health department when it comes to that kind of thing? I, I mean, do they expect you to help? you know, promote safe driving and stuff or did, yeah. Did, yeah. Well, did, it's, it's kind of all part of that spectrum. And, okay. and, and so it kind of boils down to where do we think that there's a, an intervention that we might be able to help with. Right. Hmm. So it's ironic. You mentioned that it's, it's uh, health education week. Uh-huh. <laughs> so maybe in honor of health education week, we can talk about some of these issues. So, you know, you, you're always in, in a position like mine, looking for an, an area where you might um, be able to make a difference in people's lives. Um, and you try and make it as the, the least amount of intrusion as you possibly can. So, you know, seatbelts are actually a really good example of that. Um, a lot of the things that have helped to decrease uh, traffic fatalities are not things that you have to think about or do anything about. So, for example, just how you design a road makes a big difference in hmm. how many people go off that road, right? And so right. technology in, in road building has improved a lot over the years. And the fact that we can go, you know, 80 miles an hour routinely on the freeway and, and it's still pretty safe has a lot to do with the engineering associated with roads. And that's not something you think about, but that's that probably has more impact on this scenario than anything. Then you Then you go to the car itself. Right. And uh, how you make that car makes a big difference in how, whether, you know, whether or not somebody dies in a car accident. So you've probably heard about crumple zones and right. all of those kinds of things. And that's done a lot to improve uh, how people die. And then 
then then you have to get into so those are kind of engineered aspects for safety but then you have to get into well what what can you do to help people be safer then and so the requirement to have seat belts available to people and and have seat belts and ask people to wear seat belts so that's less effective because people have to do something right and it turns out that's the <laughs> Always the step where we lose people is when they have to do something. <laughs> what? I have to try? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it turns out seatbelts are really effective in adding an extra layer of safety onto that, but not as effective because then sometimes people don't wear their seatbelts. And, uh, and then there's also behavioral kinds of things associated with that too. Like two-thirds of all the traffic fatalities have some sort of alcohol-related component to it, and so mm. not drinking and driving. And so then you try and create, you know, uh, awareness through laws and penalties and the law and things like that. But, uh, but those are just not as effective as those engineering controls. But it gets to the fact that, man, if we pay attention and understand, we can do a lot to keep ourselves safer, right? So not drinking and driving makes you two-thirds less likely to die in an automobile accident, which is really pretty amazing right so yeah, yeah, yeah. so understanding some of those things so that's that's the role of health education in the society is to say here's the areas where you can make a real difference in your life and so uh probably every time we talk we're doing a little bit of health education where we say yeah. if you you know if you add an extra vegetable to your life every day you're you're going to be healthier long term if you can get 30 minutes of exercise every day that's the magic bullet the answer is often exercise. In too many of these scenarios, uh, exercise is the answer, but it's not the answer people want to hear. <laughs> so, yeah. so I have to keep talking about it. Uh, I know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking as you were talking about that, uh, uh, I have nothing against what they call the smart car, these little teeny cars that basically have a room for one or two people and nothing else. Right, uh, right. Does it make you shake your head sometimes, though, when you see – you're out there and you see these people driving at 55 miles an hour down Bluff Street in, in a smart car, yeah. knowing knowing that, okay, yeah, hopefully a, they won't get in an accident. But if they get in one, they're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, you got to look at the safety profiles of cars. And, um, you know, we've, we've been pushing towards more fuel economy, but sometimes you, there's a safety uh, compromise there, you know, and you just have to be. There's almost always a trade-off in almost everything in life, and, mm. and too often – we tend to view things through this kind of black and white and I'm right, you're wrong kind of thing. And that's just not the reality of the world we live in. And so I, I think I, with understanding comes a little bit more ability to say, wow, there's a whole spectrum of, of things that we can be looking at here. So. We had an issue come up uh, the other day on the show. We uh, found an article uh, talking about airbags and how there was, uh, I think Takata was the name of the company that installed a bunch of airbags in cars. And it turned out that, uh, their airbags would explode the the hardware that that put the airbag together, so that when it went off, it would actually shoot shrapnel oh, at, at the people that were driving the vehicle. And in fact, 17 people have died. Now, I know that's not a big number when you consider some of the other numbers we've talked about on the show. But uh, the the weird thing is, uh, so the U.S. put a recall out on on any car that had those airbags, but it wasn't a mandatory recall. And not only was it not mandatory, but you weren't allowed to disconnect the airbag yourself. You weren't allowed to let a mechanic disconnect the airbag. You had to eventually, when you got around to it, get to the dealer and have yeah. them replace the airbag. The whole issue seemed kind of screwy and out of whack when, when the, in fact, these things were killing people. Yeah. I don't know that you have any yeah. control over that as a health officer, but, no. man, oh, man. No, no. Pol politics and all things, right? So mm -hmm. probably 
um, the man- manufacturer said, well, we're the only ones that can replace these safely, right? Yeah. So we got to make sure that's what happens here. And, and by the way, so, here's a million-dollar check for your campaign. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and I don't know if it's that sinister or just <laughs> – Maybe there were some issues with getting the right parts or something. It's hard to know what the background is, but uh, but sometimes you just say, "Man, you know." Sometimes we sometimes we're our own worst enemies with some of the stuff we 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 can make almost anything way more complicated than it needs to be. That's for sure. Like you said, there's a, there's a trade off in pretty much everything out there. We don't like to think there is, but there's a trade off. If you you know if you choose to sub- have your diet subsistive. And chocolate cake and fried foods. <laughs> the right. trade-off is uh, you're going to have to work really, really hard to make up for that kind of a diet in exercise. And I don't know that. I heard once somebody said you can never out-exercise a bad diet. I don't know how true that is. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, I, <laughs> you never want to say never, but I. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all a continuum, right? There's all these quivers in your arrow towards good health, and and um, there's just some things that just you know if you're you're taking illegal drugs right i mean if you're a meth addict it, it, everything else in your life falls apart right it, that is your life and then it becomes a short one there's just no no way to compensate for that so and as you get older you get our age uh the the you know all those decisions you made and and your uh, your you know maybe decision to shorten your life because of some of those decisions becomes a little more real yeah uh, than when you're 20 yeah or, when or you're 30. In, it's when you're invulnerable and you think the world is your oyster mm-hmm. forever that you you unfortunately that's when you're making decisions and sometimes they're not the wisest ones yeah yeah sometimes youth is wasted on the young isn't yeah it? it always is wasted on the young. <laughs> all right we got to get another break and we're talking with dr blodgett today from the southwest utah public health department and a former chief resident at johns hopkins university i always like to throw that in doc i know you get embarrassed sometimes but that's a pretty oh, cool you. deal all right. Uh, well, uh, let's see. Uh, Joe Shoney is a sponsor of the program. Appreciate Joe. Joe has been uh, involved uh, in sponsoring this show for a long, long time. His focus is customer service. In, in other words, uh, he's the guy that will keep you updated on the loan every every step of the way. You'll get the, you'll get daily phone calls, and basically, they don't want to leave you in alerts. I know I've in several loans I've had in my life. There have been some where. I just, I'm like, but I had to call them and say, hey, what's going on? I haven't heard anything. It's not that way with Joe Shoney and his associates. Uh, go online. He gives an average with now 451 reviews of 4.91 out of five stars. Pretty, pretty cool numbers. Uh, the latest, this is Jim in Leeds said, Joe and Sue stuck with me when the going got rough. I really appreciate that. Uh, this one from Joe and Brian Head's a great company with good communication and uh, this is Dana said, personal attention, remote, electronic paperwork, personal notary, really great, and exclamation point, and, of course, those five stars. It's Joe Shoney, 435-590-6300. Email him, joe.shoney at nafinc.com. Welcome back to the program, 10 minutes before the hour of 10 a.m. Hope you're having a good day today. Uh, again, the big sale going on at Barbecue Pit Stop starting, uh, well, started 50 minutes ago, and uh, it's a sale on Traeger. You can get a Traeger for near to half price, and he won't tell me the exact numbers. In fact, they would, the Traeger, I guess, in the contract wouldn't tell them the exact number, but I know a huge percentage off of uh, Traeger grills and smokers. I, I always say... There was a, a study years ago that said that uh, if you eat meat, if you eat uh, meat that has been uh, uh, especially uh, seared or burned a little bit, that uh, it's a much higher risk of cancer. I know they backed off of that a little bit this past year, uh, but uh, 
Uh, Dr. Blodgett always likes to say, well, all things in moderation, right? Yeah, moderation's <laughs> the key. I don't I don't anybody, want anybody to stop barbecuing out there, but maybe not every day. <laughs> <laughs> I try I try to do it once a week. That's not right, that's not too bad. So. Pro- problem is then we have leftovers the whole rest of the week too. So. <laughs> All right, uh, the flu shootout. You guys had, uh, of course, the one out at Purgatory, uh, and uh, that was the walk-in, and then you had the drive-through uh, flu shot shootout uh, last week yeah, at last the week. mall. How did how did it go? I understand you had some pretty good numbers. Yeah, really well. Um, you know, we're we're grateful for people that are willing to come out and and uh, go through that process with us. It's our preparedness activity where we you know we get out the incident command structure and we remind our people what that means and we you know there's way too many people there for how many show up (laughs) but it's it's in preparation for uh this year it's become extra real because we'll have covid vaccine coming and then we'll be ready to do that so so you got dual purpose you wanted of course to get people their flu shots but also you wanted to be ready for when uh, when the vaccine comes and and let's talk about that vaccine uh there have been a few snags here and there. I know, uh, like Moderna actually couldn't. I read a story this morning. They couldn't get enough people of color, they call it, people of color, to volunteer for the test part of it. And so because they didn't have enough people of color, they couldn't do the full study on the testing and stuff. And, uh, you know, it, I think it was way too optimistic to think that we were going to get it done very, very as quickly as, we, as they want it to be. Well, you know, it can never be fast enough. But right. I, I got to tell you, it's it's been re- astonishingly rapid yeah. compared to other things in history. And so, you know, the science has progressed more quickly uh, with COVID than than anything in, has ever done. And um, I think it's really a credit to the scientific community and to uh, kind of what happens when, you know, a lot of good people have a lot of good ideas and they start moving things forward. It's you know, we're, we're still, there still isn't, for example, an HIV virus vaccine. Right. You know, we've known about that for 50 years, 40, 40 years now. And so, um, you know, that we're, we're <laughs> the fact that we've moved as rapidly towards this as we have, uh, we're, we're still being told that there will be some doses available um, for healthcare and first responders uh, in November. But I think the the bulk of it will be available in the spring. And so that's what we're, you know, kind of preparing for. But, uh, we, we talked about exit strategy last, last month when you were on this sh- uh, show. And, and I, I think most people believe the exit strategy is when there's a, a widely available vaccine. Is, is that the only way we get out of this kind of mess that we're in? Yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I'm actually really encouraged with how rapidly, the ability to treat this has come along. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, if you look at our numbers, when we track them, uh, when we first started doing this, about 15% of the people that got this ended up in the hospital. Now it's about four. Oh, wow. And, uh, the fatality rate in Utah has always been well below 1%. And so we're, we're just doing a lot better job treating, this and understanding the nature of this disease and not automatically um, doing things that were harmful to them, <laughs> to be quite honest yeah. with you. And so, so, and, and there's new um, therapies coming on the market all the time. They talked about one with president Trump, which is this monoclonal antibody uh, medication. Yeah. 
uh, and that seems to be making a big difference. And so that they're, they're, when you add up all of the components that have made a difference, it, it really has knocked the fatality of this disease down dramatically, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was never, for most people, it was never very high, but for those people that it is high and those high-risk people we talked about, it's knocked it down even in them. So, so I, I think there's a lot to be hopeful here for. There's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of energy trying to, to get to solutions and the right place to be. It, I, I think part of where we're going to continue to be at as a society though for a while is trying to figure out where's the where's the line lines of balance between caution versus um, ability to live lives and move forward and all those things we talked about before right? that's that's kind of in the more <laughs> political realm to be honest yeah. with you and yeah the, there you, you can say what the science is this is what kills people but that doesn't tell you how you interpret that as a society right and so right uh, we we've heard that phrase oh the science says this the science doesn't say that the science says you know it is a static thing it's it's how we it's a dynamic thing is how it's impacted in people's lives and how people interpret it and so you know our, our press release was was a reminder about what the things you can do to protect those around you that you love and yourself and what your plan can look like and, and how to impact that in your life. You know, we have these recommendations about staying away from people as much as you can and wearing masks if you can't and washing your hands. And for, for goodness sake, if you have any symptoms along that kind of upper respiratory tract, even as mild as a runny nose, those that that's all in the COVID spectrum now. Don't go out when you have those kind of symptoms. Yeah, that's 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 where most of those spreading events where people get sick 10 percent of the people do 90 percent of the spreading in this disease <laughs> so mm. that's what we're trying to stop i wanted to ask you uh, and and you know the the question isn't whether or not he should because that's a political question but do you feel like president trump got extra special medical attention maybe some got some therapies that the average person wouldn't get when he was treated you know i I've actually studied through pretty closely what the regiment that he got, and it's not too dissimilar to what a lot of the patients that we're seeing here are getting. It was well thought out. Yeah. You know, there was obviously a lot of uh, consultation on it and, and stuff, but it wasn't anything that was not available uh, to almost to, to many people. Um, maybe the monoclonal antibodies are not quite as widely available as they might be in the future as they ramp up production of those, But uh, but I've seen... It's kind of a an upgraded version of convalescent plasma, which the doctors here in, in town have been using. You know, so so you know the, the, the therapies are pretty standard and and becoming much more well established. And I think that's why we're seeing better outcomes. And and maybe maybe what President Trump did get that maybe the rest of us wouldn't is we start to feel a little bit sick and we say it's oh that not that big a deal, right where he was getting tested continually, right? And so so he knew very quickly, and then they jumped right on it, where the rest of us might say, eh, you know, I don't think I feel that bad. I'm not going to go in. And, and some of those things, particularly the remdesivir, which is an antiviral agent, it, the sooner you get that on board, the better off you're going to be. So um, I wonder, he, he's been basically daily tested now for probably six months or five anyway. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't think there was anybody in the world more happy that they went from the nasal swab to the spit test than Donald Trump, <laughs> probably right? Probably so. <laughs> He's probably a little too familiar with that scratching your brain phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, but but all of those things, I think, will be available widely. And, and, and I actually think the most promising technology is coming along in the testing arena mm-hmm. as we get more rapid, more widely available, and more accessible testing. That's going to be really a game changer. So everybody can test and know that they're not positive or they're not spreading the disease. That way we don't have to, you know, do long quarantines and stuff like that. We can just, we can just test people. Yeah. They've started, you know, uh, this, this whole thing just about killed the state of Hawaii and, and tour, you know, that whole, that whole yeah. state is based on tourism and they were really hard line. You come here, you you stay in your apartment or your hotel right. room for two weeks. Now a lot of the airlines will let you take a test before you get on the plane so that when you get there, you can actually enjoy Hawaii. It's yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. So I think that will be much more available, and I think the technology is coming. And, and in, in a lot of ways, that has the potential to do as much or more than a vaccine. So I, I'm very hopeful <clears throat> that we're headed in the right direction. He's Dr. David Blodgett, the director of the Southwest Utah Public Health Department, comes on every month, the first Wednesday of every month. Dave, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been great. Really appreciate you. Stan Smith, the mayor of Springdale, is on Mayor Thursday tomorrow. Hopefully you'll join me then. It should be a lot of fun.